Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. We have recently been speaking about the venture capital landscape in the Central Texas area, but VCs are just one source of funding available to early-stage companies. These other sources both compete with and complement venture capital money, and today we're going to discuss some of those alternatives with a group of guests. Our format today is a bit experimental. We have four great guests representing four very different points of view. Sometimes they agree, and sometimes... Well, you'll hear it for yourself. We start with the coach, Nick Spiller, fundraising coach and co-host of the Beta Business Podcast. Nick moved to Austin in 2009 to study at the University of Texas. He spent much of his undergraduate years founding the Longhorn Entrepreneurship Agency and building UT Austin's first campus-wide community of undergraduate entrepreneurs and those who support them. As an alumnus, Nick has stayed engaged at UT as the Director of Marketing for Genesis, an on-campus fund for student entrepreneurs. Genesis has funded 30-plus student entrepreneurs and trained over 50 student investors to source deals and conduct due diligence. More recently, he spent almost four years at Capital Factory, starting the Accelerator and Seed Funds Investor Relations Team. Today, he makes thousands of connections between investors and founders every year. Yeah, I mean, really a, a, a plethora of different financing vehicles that you can use as an entrepreneur. Uh, some of them are very conventional that you know, entrepreneurs might overlook being at classic bank debt, uh, small business loans, grants from economic development groups or uh, defense organizations like Army Futures Command and <clears throat> AFWorks. Uh, and then there's like different ways. Then there's this bucket of angel investors, which are individuals investing uh, their own money uh, on their own behalf, not someone else's money, like a traditional venture capitalist. Uh, and and there's there's a few alternative ways you can structure deals with angels. You know, first, like with angels, you could you know plan to finance a company that only grows to. Five, 10 million in revenue, maybe sells for 20, 30 million. Uh, but if you value the company, set it up right, like that can still be a big win for angel investors. Whereas like most funds, if you have a hundred million dollar fund, you can't, you can't make those economics work. Uh, or then you you start looking into what's happening around crowdfunding, where it's real, you know, SEC movement, opening up non-accredited investors to uh, the startup asset class. So that's, that's I think, a big door that's just now starting to open. And I'm seeing a lot more companies raising money, you know, anywhere from $100,000 to $500,000 in, in crowdfunding. So that's a, you know, another alternative. Uh, and the last one that I like that's actually not used too much, like I, I really wish was used more, is revenue-based financing, where you pay back uh, company investors a percentage of your revenue until you hit a return cap on on their investment. I think that can work good for like cash flow companies that uh, maybe CPG, e-commerce companies, even some SaaS companies that aren't growing super fast. You can still have uh, good deal economics with, with the RBF stuff. 
whereas you know a unicorn outcome uh, venture deal isn't maybe in the cards. Let's start with the angel groups. What are the angel groups here in Austin, and, and what's the state of them? Yeah, it, it's a great question. Uh, you know, Central Texas Angel Network has always been the traditional capital network in, in town, really before I think even Austin Ventures, there was some form of CTAN. It used to go by a different name. Uh, it's very large. I, I haven't seen the rankings of the top most active angel networks in, in the country the last few years, but for, for a while, both, both CTAN here in Austin and Han, the Houston Angel Network, uh, were, were most active in the country. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's like like today. Uh, I think the angel networks are are a a viable source of capital. To to be honest, I think the model is just a little outdated and it moves a little slow for the market. And where all the companies have to go through the single application process that you know in some cases only recurs quarterly. You know, I mean, these like when I was at CF the best deals we got in at, like we had maybe five, seven days to answer, right? In a lot of cases, we were making decisions in less than 24 hours to invest in these companies. Um, we had known them for a long time. And like we'd often invested in them before, but like that was, you know, and so I think that makes it tough for, for angel networks. Um, I wish they would share their member, member lists and be transparent and just kind of enable folks to reach out to individuals and, and not be gatekeepers. The other thing is just very hard to kind of get past any one individual at an angel network unless you're you're in the network. Um, yeah, and 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 in a lot of cases there there'll only be a small segment of. And I'm really speaking for angel networks generally, by the way, not any network uh, here in, in in Central Texas. But uh, just what, I, what I've seen, you know, across the board is uh, you know, it's really a small percentage of the members that are active. Uh, investors. And, and in a lot of ways, it's a big networking group for investors, high net worth individuals, and then people who want to you know, sell stuff to them in a lot of ways. So I think that's, those are some of the issues at the same time, it's one of the best proxies for, you know, finding angel investors that you can get out there since, since angels are so uh, uh, implicit, they don't advertise that they're investing, don't have a website up with their criteria, like most venture capitalists do that. It, it, it's a very easy way. And what, what I always rec recommend founders do is go find uh, the angel network, you know, maybe, you know, 20, 30 angel networks in your area or uh, wherever you're raising money at and, and just go on LinkedIn and see who's working there. You can look at their employees and that's a lot of the investors as well. So that's a, uh, uh, and then you like, if it, you know, and the idea is you kind of get them off from the pack. And then once you've got one or two people in the network that, can sponsor you, you, you go through the front door. So, but ultimately like what I really see the future being is around the Robin hood trend and what's happening in the public markets. Uh, I think will happen somehow in startups crowdfunding very well, maybe the vehicle for a much larger number of people, much more digital based investing approach, uh, versus yeah, kind of the good old boys network of, of, Hey, you just got to get in and, and, and we'll get you, get you funded. Like, I think, I don't think they're going to go away, but 
that's really what I want to see is more digital platforms. There's things like Thumbraise is a really cool app that I've seen people use where uh, companies can showcase themselves in a very you know, modern, digitally focused way uh, on an app and investors can go through there and, and interact. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's, that's you know, what, what will help open it up to a lot more people and just create more transparency because it's just very hard as an entrepreneur that doesn't already have angels in their network to go go find them next up is the established players in the angel space the central texas angel network or ctan is one of the most active angel networks in the country and definitely the largest here in austin rick timmons is a former board chair at ctan and has personally invested in 49 startup companies since 2009 he brings with him 35 years of experience in financial management having been at cisco systems and motorola in addition to his operational experience Rick has also worked with numerous top-tier venture firms from across the country, including as a venture partner at G51. Currently, Rick is one of the two partners in Mid-City Development, a development and construction business which specializes in the development of mixed-use apartment, condo, townhome communities in Austin neighborhoods. So as a former member, chairman of the board of C10, obviously you can bring a lot of information for us. So talk with, start with what's the history of the C10 network and really what's the investment thesis of the group? Yes, that's a good question, uh, Jason. So the organization was actually formed in 2006, and it got together with some influential people at the time here in Austin, including several Austin Chamber of Commerce uh, representatives, uh, several people in the banking industry, several people in the real estate industry, all coming together to start a uh, angel network called Central Texas Angel Network. Started off with about 40 members back in 2006, 2007, and started to do some investing and continued in that range of growing slightly. And we got involved, several of us got involved as board representatives in the 2009, 10, 11 timeframe. And we decided to go on a path of growing the network significantly, adding more and more members and getting more involved in the entrepreneurial community, giving our time, giving our, our uh, efforts and our consultation kind of requirements. So we grew the organization from uh, a 2007 timeframe to 2010 of about 50 members and about three, $3.5 million per year to eventually in the 2012 to 2017 timeframe where it became 185 members and roughly investing on an annual basis 12 to $15 million. Uh, so as a result of that migration towards becoming a very large organization, we became one of the most active angel groups in the nation. And fortunately, we were in a community that has great entrepreneurs, great startups. And that all of that getting together, growing our organization, the big entrepreneurial community here. Uh, and we even used to track our volunteer hours. We were giving eight to 10,000 hours a year as members volunteering back into the community. That became an important metric. So all of that brought it a lot together for us to grow, get involved in the entrepreneurial community, and to continue in those kinds of uh, numbers and uh, metrics. And we invest now in about 40 to 50 companies per year, of which about 60% of them are follow-on investments into companies that are doing well beyond the uh, seed round. No, that's great. And just the growth is amazing that you've kind of paralleled along with the growth of Austin. And and I think that kind of leads to really the next kind of question. Since you've seen this transformation, um, obviously you've been here longer, but you know, the from the 2006 to 
today kind of period and been cutting so many checks. What are you seeing the last few years in terms of this explosion of new sectors that weren't here before and just also the competitiveness of capital sources? There's so many different places that people can go now. Right. It's a good question also. It turns out that when we first started getting involved in the entrepreneurial community, most of our investments were in the, uh, I'll call it the software sector, uh, either business-to-business software or business-to-consumer software. Uh, that has significantly changed over the last several years. So now the variety of verticals or sectors is so much more diverse here in Austin. So life sciences, medical devices, pharmaceutical companies have become for CTAN big, big sectors that we invest. And in fact, in terms of dollars, life science and medicals is number one. It's the largest. The other thing I've noticed change on is companies continue to do well and particularly in the software sector are able to come to us, generally speaking, with revenues, some form of revenues. Uh, In the past, I would say they came to us more as a pre-revenue company. And now they're coming to us, particularly in software, with revenues. And even in the consumer sector, we do a lot of CPG companies. And even the CPG companies have revenue. So they've, in a sense, helped de-risk the opportunity to invest in their companies with uh, revenues uh, that were beyond what I'll call the um, initial trials or the initial rollout of a product. They are coming into us with much more variety of revenues. We still see some some early stage companies pre-revenue, but that's not the majority of the software companies we see. And we even coach up uh, entrepreneurs on how to do that, uh, even without uh, angel funding or angel investing. What's interesting, right? So you see you have the valuations increasing, right? You have, uh, because you have you said, you know, I think you said 40% are follow on. You have right. different types of challenges as you have, you know, now post revenue software companies or a lot of software, uh, a lot of life science companies as well. So we're having this, this massive growth and coming with that also then growing pains and the changes. What are you seeing then that the challenges to the Austin innovation ecosystem as we go forward? Well, it turns out, Challenges is, is perhaps, uh, it's not just challenges, it's a number of things. So you, you mentioned and alluded to some of the valuations going out. Yes, that's happened. That's happened across the board, not just in Austin, but it's happened across the board around the country. Different instruments are around for us that we can invest in. We used to invest in only equity preferred rounds. Now we do convertible debt. In fact, convertible debt is probably half of our investing. Uh, we don't do safes. We can get into that whole topic someday, but we don't do safes. And we have a lot of reasons why. But the challenges for the whole system around uh, our startup community here in town is that there's so much more startups. So there's a lot of work that people have to do to get noticed. You know, here in Austin, I don't know if you know this or not, but we have 29 accelerators and incubators in town. 29. We have more than Silicon Valley. How do you get noticed when there's 29 accelerators and incubators? Or which ones do you go to? And how do you learn how to find the best ones? And how do you learn how to find the right and appropriate mentors, advisors, consultants? How do you get some money out of individuals or organizations outside of angel investors? There's so many more challenges here in Austin as a result of the growth. And I am for and 100% supportive of the growth but there's so much more startups 
activities and challenges that come with very, very, very good entrepreneurs in most cases. Getting noticed, getting on the radar, and getting the right advice are so vitally important and, and really harder given the size and the growth that's occurred in Austin over the last eight to 10 years. Next up is a relative newcomer. The Swan Impact Network is the fastest growing social impact angel network in the U.S. Elizabeth Jennings, a board member of Swan, is known for bringing innovative technologies from around the world to commercial success in the United States. Focused on healthcare and life science technologies, she runs the portfolio services firm Venture Atlas Labs, through which she and her team focus on developing successful commercial and market scenarios for international trade organizations, venture capital, private equity, and corporate units. She also serves on multiple international medical innovation, foreign affairs, public health councils, and consortiums, and is a board member for a handful of medical device, in vitro diagnostics, and AI startups. Can you talk to me about the history of the SWAN network, how it got started, and, and exactly what their investment thesis in, entails? Swan was started back in 2016 by Bob Bridge and Juan Thorman, uh, two local legends who have had wonderful careers uh, within the tech and innovation ecosystem uh, in Austin. So they have roots in Austin and Houston and brought together some more local legends that have helped form really a great due diligence process, a great deal flow process. And from there, it really took off. Um, in fact, during 2020 in the pandemic, we actually doubled our angel network uh, in a single year. So we've been hitting rapid growth milestones. And a lot of that was rooted in the way that Bob and Juan originally formulated, hey, is there a good way we can have a process to bring something new and different to the way we look at companies, the way we uh, evaluate how we'll work with them after we funded them? Uh, so since 2016, we've invested about $8.6 million uh, dollars or so in 27 companies. How is your due diligence process different from the large air quotes, typical due diligence process? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this because it's so important. So there's several reasons someone might not want to invest. Of course, this is a network, not a fund. Um, although I'd love to share with you in a moment how we are launching our first fund uh, as well. Because this is a network, we have an obligation to make sure that we can provide the most amount of objective information, not necessarily a counsel, and certainly not a counsel, to the individual angels about what their investment may look like, what the situation is in which they would personally then be involved. So our due diligence has two key facets as far as I'm concerned. It is much more involved than what you would typically find in an angel network. Um, but it's also weighted so that we make sure we understand the consequences of our own uh, evaluations. So we at SWAN are very committed to diversity and inclusion and to making sure that our perspectives on a deal, being mindful of who's at the table, has an influence on our outcomes. So we have a very diverse team of uh, experts who may have been in that industry in similar corporations who have uh, been serial entrepreneurs and understand how they may think uh, around governance in a slightly different way than someone else. We have uh, finance experts and so on and so forth throughout the deal memo departments 
that really help break down and challenge each other's opinions around, hey, this is actually a good strategy for these reasons, because these things have changed since you know, you were in this in the 1980s, or this has changed because of these consequences, or this is also valid. And I think that's very important so that certain entrepreneurs or certain social enterprises especially are not overlooked or discounted because they may have a novel method of looking at the world. The second component to that is making sure that our due diligence is scalable. So not only is it thorough and hopefully less biased than uh, other due diligences might be, but also making sure we can train new angels, that you do not have to have an MBA or be a management consultant or familiar with the investment world to start building into our process. We very much are an educational network of bringing in uh, angels who may be familiar with other ways of thinking or evaluating deals or new angels entirely to say, this is our due diligence process. Here's how it works. You can be a learner. We're going to pair you up with a mentor who's going to show you the best way to uh, apply market research that actually answers the decisions we need to make. Uh, we're going to work with you so that you understand why decisions are made internally with the network rather than just letting it float out there and hope everyone figures it out along the way. And that makes us more scalable than just relying on the same people every time to work through uh, the diligence process. That's very critical because at SWAN, we invest on a quarterly basis, which means that instead of on a rolling basis, we get all of our applications in the night before, although it would be lovely if people would apply in advance. And uh, we then go through the process of down selection, of incorporating different uh, metrics to make sure we whittle it down from you know one to 10 ratio, then to the final three to five, and then bring in uh, more processes. So because we're on a quarterly basis, um, we have to make sure that we can keep that where it's not just a rush. We can incorporate different cities and different mentalities as we move forward. So the scalability of maintaining quality is very important, uh, particularly across different sectors. Here. Absolutely. Of course, now you've piqued my interest. Do you have an announcement to make? Yes. So SWAN is launching its first fund, at hopefully at the beginning of the year. That is our current timeline. It should be a $20 million Series A fund focusing on health tech and clean tech. Um, and it will be apart from the Angel Network, but of course, close to affiliated with many of the same investors, but functioning as, uh, as a separate entity, looking at companies that are focused on value-based care, that are focused on the more urgent demographic and medical trends within healthcare technologies, and the same on the clean tech and renewable side. Very exciting um, to bring that to the Austin ecosystem. Well, congratulations. That's great. And that kind of brings me to my next question, because a number of angel networks exist now here in Austin, as well as throughout the rest of the country. Many of them have funds, many of them don't. How does one connect with the established angels here in Central Texas, as well as elsewhere, and the new players in the market? It's an excellent question. So I think one of the great things about SWAN is we are rooted in Austin's history. We are rooted in Houston's history. We have many angels that are also a part of other angel networks that also have family offices or have other you know, investment allocations in the ecosystem itself. So we're very well ingrained organically in what's happening here. 
we do also focus on new angels, on people who may not, you know, have done investing of any sort before and making sure we can value their expertise. Um, we can value their insights as well and making sure that that's very open to the general community in Austin. So we certainly see overlap uh, in deal flow with most of the other angel networks in Texas, particularly as we're growing. Uh, we just launched a new headquarters a year ago, um, in a new chapter, I should say, in Dallas. Um, so we are growing rapidly there, and that means we have different um, relationships that are growing with other networks there, like SVB Dallas. We have different relationships growing here as well, and we really want to become the network where we can add the most value and additionality to social impact enterprises here. That, that means that not every deal will be a fit for us, but we know who it might be. We can play well and syndicate well with our partners. And likewise, not every deal will be right for other major established players here, but we know that we may have uh, a better fit. So certainly that's very important. Um, I don't think that any investment here, it can be mutually exclusive. Um, as a community, we are definitely stronger bringing different pieces to the table in addition to writing a check than we would be alone. Yeah, absolutely. Austin's been growing so very, very quickly, especially this last 18 months. What are the challenges that you see in the Austin ecosystem going forward? This is very interesting because I'm always looking on the bright side and I'm so impressed with the way that Austin's grown over the last decade and particularly the last five years. There has been, I think, a mind shift change of what we really can be and maybe even what we want to be as a community. Uh, but there are critical challenges and particularly if you work with uh, kind of a blended line, when you're looking at health tech investment, which you can see very clearly We've had a shift and a more of a blurred line from your seed investment, your traditional areas in which angels are playing in the dollar size that you would previously expected in Series A. So there has been some shift in how we're looking at um, how much money we're writing, how much money is needed. And that means that we're looking outside of the ecosystem many times. We may be working on a deal um, on either coast as well. And that adds a different kind of perspective on the capital environment here in Austin. The more we have those external connections and those external forces uh, looking at what's happening and what's available to happen here in Austin. But that said, I, I see that creating several challenges. We've had such rapid growth here. We've had new offices come to, to the Austin area, uh, new VCs looking, do they want to, to play in our check size? Do we want to play in their check size? And because of that, I think it's highlighting some of the reasons why um, Austin's experiencing uh, growth pains. Uh, we do not have critical infrastructure um, for certain industries that other cities do. Uh, for example, if you want to build a fantastic world-class health tech ecosystem, it's very helpful to have a TMC to build a TMC accelerator series upon. And we are just getting started on some of the basic infrastructure for that and the basic uh, accessibility to those industry partners, to those potential acquirers and exit mechanisms uh, that other cities have had well-developed and well-greased in the past. Um, we don't necessarily have differentiated uh, accelerators or incubators on a large scale. We have some fantastic players here, 
but it's difficult when an international company, for instance, evaluates us against Boston or San Francisco or New York City to say, I understand you may be more capital efficient, but then also what's my delta going to be following entry here? So there's some challenges really around our offering compared to other cities that allow us to bring new companies here to differentiate deal flow, to differentiate potential exits, uh, the simple business development. So while we do have great efficiency here and accessibility, um, I see us just having the basic challenges of an early city still growing, still building that ecosystem. And I also think Austin exceptionalism, which is a phrase that I just learned being a longtime Austin advocate, does come back and bite us in some ways. We're not as well connected to other cities as we really could be. We want everyone to come here and play with us and do things on our terms rather than having more cooperative programs where, for instance, we could have more biobridge type relationships. We could have more um, academic relationships that would also help with the more advanced technologies that we certainly want to see here. On the investment side, we've done a great job of bringing in new money and new expertise into the capital environment here, but there's certainly a defined lack of expertise. You get these same organizations supporting everyone in healthcare or in clean tech and life science, and that does um, the lack of differentiated deal flow, the lack of differentiated expertise of looking at a deal means that we can't add additionality. So we don't have a capital environment in which there's such competition here in Central Texas or extending to Houston and Dallas as well, that the funders must add portfolio services, must add deep uh, business development or commercialization efforts, must add other reasons um, such as visibility to potential acquirers that you would see in more developed ecosystems on other coasts. So I think those are things that hold us back uh, that very simply take time to put in place, right? You can't very simply say, we want to be the next because we won't be. We have to create all of this ourselves um, with our own culture, with our own unique uh, resources here but at the same time, it does keep things slower and uh, put us perhaps in a third place between either coast. There's a growing source of capital, what I'm calling free agent investors. They're not officially part of any angel group or network, yet they're actively writing checks. Many of these free agents are ex-founders, and our final guest, Kyle Robertson, is one of them. Kyle co-founded and was CEO of Narrative DX, the industry leader in patient experience analytics. He grew Narrative DX to support over 10% of the U.S. healthcare market, including 14 of the top 20 U.S. News and World Report health systems, before being acquired by Prescani in early 2020. Today, Kyle gives time, insight, and capital to a diverse range of startups. So let's start off with, how'd you get involved in angel investing? I was very fortunate to have received the support of some angel investors early in my company, and so I came to appreciate how important that could be. Uh, and once I sold my company, I had the ability uh, to become an angel investor. And it was important to me to give back to the community and be able to replicate what was done for me. Um, so I basically followed the model of people who I consider to be smarter than me, such as John Paulos and, and other people in town, 
that really showed me what angel investing looked like. Uh, and I really try to emulate that so I can give it back to the community. And now that you're kind of on the giving or investing side, how is the capital environment changing and different than when you were raising for narrative? I think that there is a lot more access to capital, especially in Austin today than there was in 2014 when I was initially raising capital. There have been many funds that have moved to Austin recently. Briar Capital, I think, is one of the most notable. Um, but when I was raising in 2014, there were really only a handful of firms in town. And, and they had been here for a while, and they were players that people knew. And they were very successful at what they did. Um, but those were largely venture capital groups looking for companies that you know had established go-to-market and revenue and things like that. Uh, the angel environment today, specifically, I also think is better. I think it's going to get better in the future as more companies exit things like Everlywell, where the people who are involved in that will have the ability to put capital back into the market, such as I did. But I think it's this natural evolution of companies growing, exiting, and creating people who have the ability to become angel investors. Uh, and I think that's going to make the environment even more fruitful than it is today. But I think we're in process of that now. Well, and it's interesting, right? So we have this kind of growing number of angel groups, both that have existed for a while and some of the new ones. But as we've kind of mentioned, you know, there's this also growing class of what we're calling, you know, the, the free agents, the people like yourself who are just kind of floating around and finding deals and investing. I mean, how do you connect in and find opportunities since you're playing outside of these networks? So I try to invest in things that I know. Um, my thesis is that it's it's hard to look at a deck and a spreadsheet and figure out who's going to be a winner. So largely for me, I'm finding deals through people I know or networks that I already have established. Uh, I was very involved with Techstars. They were an investor in my company, as well as some venture capital funds like HealthX Ventures and Cultivation Capital and the Texas Medical Center. I work closely with those groups for companies that they're looking at. Um, but I've also made lots of personal connections. So when I had some extra time after selling the company, I made a point of reaching out to other founders who had exited recently. Um, Techstars has a great network that facilitates that. I've met about 15 exited founders in the last year who us together share deals. Um, and we've actually co-invested in a deal that recently closed. I can't announce it yet, but the, the press release will be coming out. But basically like that through folks that I've known or other founders in network, but there's a really strong community, especially around healthcare. There's less structured healthcare groups and more free agents, I think, in healthcare. Um, so specifically sticking to those networks that I'm familiar with or topics that I know, um, but I usually play in those spaces. Well, it's amazing, right? We're seeing this, all this growth. And as you talked about, not only yourself and being able to kind of recycle back through, but we kind of see on the horizon, as you said, other people kind of being able to join those opportunities and, and recycling their capital. Um, Austin is exponentially growing and we're having uh, lots of new opportunities here. But what do you see as the challenges for the Austin innovation ecosystem going forward? One of the things that I've come to appreciate after not knowing what I was doing, raising venture capital originally, is that it's very hard with the bevy of options out there now for raising capital to truly figure out who's going to be a good partner or who's not. Um, transparency around these things is hard. It's usually a network game like we talked about before. I think as there's more options out there, the challenge is going to be for entrepreneurs to figure out who's the right fit for what I'm doing. 
Um, because from the outside, if you're new and you don't have those relationships, a, a all-purpose venture capital firm might look as attractive as a healthcare-specific venture capital firm, but maybe those things play out very differently in reality over the life cycle of your company. It's very hard to know that uh, if you haven't already interacted with the players. And so I think being able to sort and understand the options and figure out how to find the right partners for the right companies is a challenge. It's mostly done manually today. You just, you got to kiss a lot of frogs uh, to find the prince. At the end of all of our interviews, we always ask our central question, what's next to Austin? First, we have Nick, the fundraising coach. Austin's arrived at its renaissance, and I think we might learn they're not as pretty in real life as in the books, but certainly you know, a, lot of, a lot of problems are going to be solved here and, and hashed out here in the next decade, and it's going to be a pretty exciting thing to be a part of. Rick? from the Central Texas Angel Network, gives us his perspective. Well, next Austin, in my uh, uh, view, is the continued, what I'll call, very, very big growth down the road. We now have 50 venture capital firms in Austin. I can give you a list. You can email them. Anyone have email me, and I'll send you a list of all 50 of them. Five years ago, we had 30. 10 years ago, we had 10. Imagine now 50 venture capital firms here buying to invest in companies now that we would we were so challenged to get companies past an A round. Now we're doing B rounds. Now we're doing C rounds. So the significant growth and what's in the future for Austin is the participation in significant and large valuations. I used to give speeches. And the folks at Capital Factory and other places used to throw darts at me. I used to say seven years ago, there's going to be no unicorns in Austin. No unicorns in Austin. Now we have one every quarter. So I have had to eat more crow with so many people because of the significant growth here in Austin. So we are going to continue to excel, do well, and find sources of growth in our own community that heretofore we never had. Uh, and the other thing I think that's happening, and I think Austin is part of this too, and it's, and it's a phenomenon that brought more awareness to us. I, I, I look for more diversity in our entrepreneurial community, diversity in terms of ethnicity, diversity in terms of gender. We even have an angel organization that focuses and venture capital firms that focus on gender uh, helping female entrepreneurs. So I think what's ahead for us is the more diverse and uh, more successful entrepreneurs in those types of communities also, where we need it, where we want it, and where we have to focus on to make some of those things happen. I see a lot of that also down the road for Austin and our entrepreneurial community. Elizabeth Jennings from SWAN talks about how much is happening in Austin. Uh, because so much is happening here. So, of course, we have the Swan Fund, which will be very exciting. Um, and we're certainly looking forward to that. I also see a lot more growth, you know, following on my earlier comment about the challenges with Pegasus Park up in Dallas, with some fantastic innovation in health tech and life sciences up in Round Rock. Texas State is doing great things in clean tech down in San Marcos. The entire corridor really is exploding. And we're seeing more corporate growth, more corporate ventures as well, which is 
a fantastic influx of valued talent into the ecosystem, which hopefully will help bring new innovations and new, uh, new startups to the Austin area. So I see a lot of growth there, and I see a lot of potential for us on an international capacity as well. We're doing so much good work uh, bringing international organizations that are very capital efficient, that have novel technologies, adapting their models to Texas, to the United States, and helping make them successful here. So I'd love to see more uh, international ties here, more growth with, for instance, the World Affairs Council. We have summits coming up uh, year round, really, but we have a Texas EU summit coming up in November. And that brings the business industry, innovation, policy, foreign affairs, all of this together in a nice bucket. And Austin's a fantastic home for uh, more of that to grow and for us to have more relationships with our sister cities around the world. I'm very optimistic on those accounts. And finally, Kyle gives us a call to action that's so important. I I alluded to it earlier, but I'm very optimistic that companies like Everlywell, Wheel, other ones that are succeeding in the healthcare space specifically are able to receive a significant exit event. I think this is on their horizons, but to put entrepreneurs back into the ecosystem who have the ability to take risks and write these early checks. But in addition to that, roll up their sleeves alongside these founders, help them avoid some of the mistakes that they made, help them accelerate and continue to spin this flywheel of innovation because I think that's sort of the magic recipe. Those who have done it have to put their capital time and effort back into the ecosystem to help the next generation. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.